You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue to study through uh, the gospel. But I want to start, as you do that, I want to read one other section of scripture that I think is going to help us sort of uh, orient ourselves to what the Lord is saying in Mark's gospel. As you turn there, maybe write it down, jot it down in your margin or whatnot. But Ephesians chapter 2, I think is important for us to understand in context of what we see in Mark chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's speaking about our condition prior to knowing Jesus, prior to uh, putting our faith in Jesus for the purpose of salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 Paul says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. What that means is as we pursue the passions of our flesh, we give into the temptations of our flesh. What, what's happening is we're actually giving in to the temptation of Satan in those moments. So that's something we have to sort of process and understand. Sin isn't just this little, like we've heard it described, just missing the mark of God's perfection. It's not just that. When we give in to sin, we're actually giving in to Satan. That's the spiritual element of what's taking place. And he says that we've all were once in that place where we lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, meaning we were born into this, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, Ephesians 2, verse 4. If there were two words that were the fulcrum or the turning point for any person's life in regard to salvation and what we look forward to in forward to in eternity it's these two words Ephesians 2 4 but God on our own we're dead but God verse 4 being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Take that clause and, and, and mark that away. Like, like save that away and just keep that in your brains. Keep that in your hearts. For by grace you have been saved. The operative function of salvation, how it is that our sins are cleansed from our souls, is by God's grace alone. There's nothing else that grants us favor with God but His grace. Now, His grace is given to us and it's expressed in our life in the second part of this clause, through faith. We are saved by, by grace. You have been saved through faith. And that faith is not your own doing. Even the faith that you and I have, it's a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So to begin our time today in the scripture, even in Mark chapter five, I think it's important for us to understand that our relationship to God, any connection that we have, anything that we're able to um, receive from the Lord is simply by his grace. Perhaps you've heard this acronym before, but grace breaks down into this wonderful little acronym where each letter of the word represents a different word, right? Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Every good thing that we have from God came because Jesus substituted himself for us on the cross. When someone says, oh, I feel so blessed today. I'm just so blessed. I, that word gets used a lot in culture nowadays, and it gets used by people who are not Christians, right? But just believe in sort of a general goodness in the world, in the universe, and karma, and all these kinds of things. I feel so blessed. We have to understand there is no blessing in life apart from what God gives to us. It comes from the Lord, and the way that we receive those things is through faith in Jesus Christ, which, listen, we don't do anything to earn that either. The faith that you and I have that we're able to say, I believe. I heard about Jesus, and I believe in him. That faith is a gift. Now, like any gift, we have to unwrap it. We have to stick the batteries in, and we have to use it, right? Like we understand that part of it. But the faith that we have came from the Lord as well understand that context that's how we have relationship with jesus is through our faith which has come from the lord now mark chapter 5 please mark chapter 5 verse 21 i'm going to read this whole section track with me read along we're going to read the whole thing and then we're going to go back and we're going to understand some things about how faith is expressed Mark chapter 5, verse 21 says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, remember he's just healed the man who had the unclean spirit and told the man, No, you can't come with me. You got to stay here and go tell all your friends about the things that I've done for you, right? And that man then goes through all the Hellenistic region of the Decapolis and goes and t- shares his testimony. He just came from this demonic healing. Awesome. And when Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, A great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment For she said to herself, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling 
and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. When we see a story like this, and we see it in light of what we know about how we have a relationship with God, that it's all by his grace, but it's exercised through faith. The grace that God gives us for salvation, it requires us to use the gift that he has given us of faith. And this story, I think, exhibits two wonderful examples, but contrasting examples of how faith can be exercised in someone's life, how the example of faith can look to other people as they're watching what's going on. Now, I've had to, over the years, grow and really humble myself in understanding and accepting the differences between people in regard to how the Lord reaches them or how he works grace into their lives right? God works differently in different people's lives. Now, there's some things that are consistent for all people. God's word describes things to us that are the same for us because God never changes and he establishes for us some truths. You can only be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to get to the Father except through Jesus. Confessing your sin, repenting of them, placing your faith upon Jesus for salvation. That's a universal truth. There's nothing, God doesn't do that differently in people's lives as far as we know. What we're given and, and the instruction that we follow, that's how we know salvation works. We have evidences of scripture and things like this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. So this gift of faith that God gives us, oftentimes it's delivered when people hear the word of God, whether they're reading it or it's been proclaimed or preached. The word of God is a, is a, uh, it's a delivery system of the gift of faith that God wants to give to people. We know that to be true as well. But here's the interesting thing as you read through scripture. God also relates to people in different ways and in ways that I think in our day and age sometimes freak us out a little bit. And maybe we're a little bit cautious of because we read it and we see it in scripture but we're like, I don't want that to happen to me. Things like angels appearing to people. Right? Like God, God would, would send angels with messages to appear to people and every description of an angel, it's not a fat little baby with wings and a little bow and arrow with hearts in it. Like that ain't the angels we're talking about. When we hear descriptions of angels, it is like, whoa, angels are serious business. And most of the angels that we hear described in scripture have some sort of visage, meaning they look like a warrior of some kind. 
There's this fearful aspect to angels, like they're ginormous. I had a friend who was on a mission in Brazil, and she was singing on stage, and there was someone in the crowd um, who, this is the testimony. All I have to say is that this was the testimony, and it was attested to by people who were there, that as she was singing this song, uh, this woman saw behind her these two angels. There was nowhere else to, no other way to describe it, but these this image of these angels just standing behind her. And the way that she described them sure matches up with what we see in scripture. She said they had to be 15 feet tall. They were literally towering over the stage and just, just there like, like worshiping while she was singing. And so, so it was, so everything we know about the heavenly realm and what we see about God, it's not some, some hallmark card angel or Jesus or or any of that kind of stuff it's it's a serious serious thing so we see God sending angels to people to deliver messages we have record in scripture of of people having dreams where God speaks to them in a dream or sends sends a message to them in a dream to give them direction that happened to the apostle Paul right like he had a dream that he was supposed to go somewhere specifically to minister to fulfill his mission and God gave him grace through that we see throughout the New Testament other forms of people receiving instruction through letters, through words of encouragement, through prophetic utterances, speaking in tongues. All of these kinds of things are described in Scripture. So what I say, I've had to sort of learn to humble myself in understanding that God works differently in different people. See, when you get zealous about something and you've had an experience with the Lord and, the, and how he related to me, see, I just assume everybody else needs to have that experience. Everybody needs to do it like I did it because that makes sense to me right? And I have the microphone. So that just, that just seems to make sense to me. But, but what we see in this uh, story lends to the idea that comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Let me say it this way. God gives you grace to live your life. He doesn't give you grace to live someone else's life, right? It's easy to look at someone else's experience and how God has related to them and how perhaps Jesus has answered their prayers or ministered to them. And it's easy to say, man, I really wish Jesus would minister to me like he ministered to my friend over here. That seems cool. (laughs) I would like that experience. Versus sitting in and living through the experience that you have that God has prepared for you and how he wants to minister to you. It's different for each person. There may be similarities and there's certain truths that are consistent across all of that, but God deals with us differently. And so he gives you grace to live your experience. He gives me grace to live my experience. Now, the first example that we see is this woman with the issue of blood. For 12 years, she has some sort of disease to where she's bleeding. We don't know anything else other than that, but we do know that she has spent all of her money on physicians trying to fix what is happening, but she has heard about Jesus and this woman in the crowd, as they're following Jesus, now, now the context here is that he has already been addressed by someone else to say, my daughter needs healing. And he's like, let's go. And they're on their way to the synagogue ruler's house, Jairus's house. But in the midst of that crowd, this woman with this disease, this issue, she says like, I just need to get to Jesus. If you want to hear like the soul of this story, listen to Sam Cooke. And he sings this song, um, There Was a Woman, Touch the Hem of His Garment is the song by Sam Cooke. You want to feel it, that's where it's at, right? 
But this woman has this sort of tooth and claw, just, I need to get to Jesus. You get the desperation in that story. She's got this issue of blood. She's like, I just need to reach out and I need to touch him. I need to get to Jesus. She is driven by the, the, the zeal of the moment. This is physical, it's impulsive, it's, it's zealous. She is driven by two things. If we take this story in context, she's driven by poverty. She spent all of her money and she's driven by despair. Nothing has helped, I'm still sick. Now here's the cool thing. In her situation, what she's dealing with, she gets to Jesus, she reaches out and all she knows is I need to get to Jesus. She just touches his garment. I don't know how your mental picture sees that, but because she's sick, because she's hurting, because she's just trying to get to Jesus, I, and other translations render it, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, that's like the bottom of his robes. I see her on the ground. I don't know how you see it, but I see her on the ground, like literally just trying to catch a bit of Jesus as he walks by. Now, here's the cool thing. In that moment, Jesus senses power go out from him, which that's a cool description. But he turns around, he's like, somebody touched me. And the guys are like, the disciples are like, really, Lord? Like, we're thronged in by all these crowds. You expect us to know who it was that touched you? Disciples, come on, guys. And Jesus goes, no, someone touched me. There's power that went out from me. And she's convicted of this. She's like, oh, no, did I do something wrong? But she comes to Jesus, and she bows down before him. What what does bowing down before someone signify? Submission. She submits to him, and she goes, here's the whole story, Jesus. I've been sick. I've spent all my money on people trying to heal me and I'm still sick and I don't have any money. But I believed that if I just came to you and if I even touched you, I'd be healed. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, okay, now let's go through a ritual. Let's go through something that, that, you know, prove to me that you really are faithful. No, he just says, your faith, this gift that God gave you, your faith has healed you. Go, be healed. Go and, and, and live the life that God has called you to live. Right? Jesus recognizes her faith. Immediately she's healed. She's just clawing her way to Jesus. She's in the pit of despair and she doesn't know what else to do, but I got to get to Jesus. Jesus sees, it, sees her, recognizes her faith, and heals her immediately. By contrast, Jairus, he's, he's a ruler of the synagogue. He's, by all accounts, that, that would mean that he's probably pretty well off. He's probably what we would consider a professional, buttoned up, right? Looking good for the job and sort of uh, known socially, all those kinds of things. And he comes to Jesus and he's just as zealous as the other woman. He's just driven by something else. She's driven by poverty and despair. He's driven by fear and love. My daughter's sick. My 12-year-old daughter's sick. There's no one, to, I, she, no, no one can heal her. She's sick and she's going to die. And what does he do? The same thing. He comes and, and, and he approaches Jesus and he kneels down before him. He bows before the Lord and offers his submission to Jesus. He recognizes Jesus's authority and says, here's the situation. Will you come and heal? And Jesus says, yes, of course. And so, and so Jesus sees him, recognizes his faith, the authority that he entrusts to Jesus and says, yes, I'll grant your wish. I'll grant your prayer that you're asking me of. But here's the thing in the midst of Jesus going and doing the thing for the Pharisee or for for Jairus, for the synagogue ruler, he gets interrupted. He gets interrupted by the woman and the situation and he goes and turns to the woman and immediately heals the woman. Out of a sense of fairness, wouldn't you or I go, 
line cutter. You jumped, it, you jumped in front of me. You stole, you stole my miracle. Like that was supposed to be for me. Like he was on the way to heal my daughter. And to the point, as Jesus is interacting with the woman with the issue of blood and heals her, the servants come from the house and tell him, don't bother him anymore. There's no point in Jesus coming because she's dead. What do you, Jesus, if we had not bothered with the woman, we would have gotten to the house, the thing could have happened and my daughter would still be alive, right? Like I, that's, that's how we think about things in order. And yet here's the deal, right? Jesus goes, don't fear. Ha, ha, just, just believe is what he tells him. Hey, don't worry. Just, just believe. And he takes several of his boys with him. That's a different discussion for a different time but we're going to go to Jairus' house anyway. And the people are there, those who are paid to come and weep and wail at the death of a loved one. It's a part of the culture. And Jesus says, hey, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And they all laugh at him. They don't have faith. They're not believing. So what does Jesus do? Get out. Clear the room. The only ones who get to stay are, are, are the guys and the parents. Now Watch. Watch what happens. And he goes and he lays his hand on her and he speaks to her and he brings her to life, right? And it's miraculous and I love that every time Jesus resurrects someone, like every time he brings someone up, he's like, hey, give them something to eat. This has been exhausting, right? Like dying is exhausting, apparently. And as soon as they wake up, they're like, give them something to eat. They need to, you know. Here's the thing with Jairus. Jesus saw him. He recognized his faith and he answered his prayer he healed his daughter but Jairus had to be patient right the woman with the issue of blood for whatever reason Jesus answered her prayer immediately saw her faith and went your faith has made you well go be healed Jairus Jesus took a break in that relationship he took a pause dealt with someone else and then said now Jairus now let's go listen both the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus needed something from Jesus. They came to him appropriately. They came to him and submitted themselves to his authority and they both got what they needed, but Jesus dealt with each one of them differently. You and I may have similar needs. Maybe, maybe there's an illness that we have. Maybe there's a relationship issue. Maybe there's, a, there's lack of provision. Whatever the case might be. And, and perhaps we've seen God answer prayer in other people's lives in specific ways. And we look at it and we say, God, will you do for me like you did with the woman with the issue of blood? Will you answer me immediately? And perhaps, perhaps, Jesus says, I'll answer your prayer. But here's the deal. It's going to be on my timeline and not yours. My will will still be accomplished. I, I want to heal. I will heal in these situations, but it just needs to be on my timeline. Will you believe me? God's grace has been given to you. The gift of faith has been given, given to you. We submit our authority to Jesus, but will we just continue believing that his will will be done? That's, that's, I think, the big question for us. See, one of the things I think is important to recognize in this story is that both characters, although they're contrasting in terms of how Jesus answered their prayer immediately versus having to be patient and wait, both of them asked appropriately. In James chapter 4, 
James points out that the reason that there are disputes among us in the church is because we're praying for the wrong things. He says, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss or wrongly. See, both the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, they asked appropriately. They came to Jesus, submitted themselves to him, and just said, here's what I have need of. This is all I know right now, Jesus. I don't have vision down the road. I don't see anything else. I'm not asking for success in some other area of my life. I'm just bringing to you the issue that I have right now. And I'm gonna lay that before you, and then I'm just gonna believe that in your grace and your love and the mercy that you have, that you're gonna deal with that appropriately. I'm gonna, appropriately. I'm gonna believe that, and I'm just gonna rest in that belief. Jesus fulfills each request. He just does it in his timing and in the manner of his will. You want to read another story that's sort of parallel to this. In Luke chapter 7, there's a story of a uh, Roman centurion who, uh, by all accounts and the testimony of the people in the city, um, he was a good man. In fact, he built the synagogue for the Jews in that city. And he had a servant who was sick and was dying and, and they, they, the people implored Jesus, go to him and please heal his servant. He's a good man. And Jesus agrees and he's on his way and the man comes out of his house and meets Jesus on the road and says, you don't need to go to the house. I understand the issue of authority here. If I tell someone to go do something, it's done because I said so. You don't even need to come to the house. Jesus, if you say that he's healed, I believe that he will be healed. You don't even need to see him. And Jesus, whew, He's amazed at that. And he says, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. In all the things that God's done for the nation of Israel, his people, I've never seen that kind of faith. And he commends this guy who's not even a part of the nation of Israel. It's that kind of authority and submission that we need to have with Jesus. And I think it leads us to two important questions today. And this is the application for us. I believe we're moving into a, 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 really, um, a really cool season for the church as a whole but I think for us I think we have an opportunity that we're moving into to not that we haven't before but to take seriously the call that Jesus has given to us as his church as his people the two questions I think we have to ask ourselves and meditate on and seek wisdom on are number one how are we expressing our faith in Jesus are we following the examples we see in scripture? Are there moments in time where the expression of our faith is scratching and clawing and we just need to get to Jesus? I don't care what's in the way. I don't care what the obstruction is. I don't care what the temptation is. I just need to get to Jesus and I need to be with Jesus. Are we expressing our faith in that way? Are we also at the same time being patient and waiting on the Lord? Those two things, as strange as they sound, as contrasting as they might be, they go hand in hand. I need to get to Jesus, but I also need to sit and be patient and let him work and answer me in his timing. And the second thing I think we have to ask ourselves is, what are we asking God to do? In our prayer, both individually in our lives, but I think as a church, the church, what are we asking God to do? Are we asking him just to 
provide and build up something for us to enjoy the fellowship of other people that agree with us, that's good. We need to have fellowship. We need to be encouraged. But are we putting skin in the game? What are we asking God to do to affect our community, our families, the growth of the church, the expansion of the kingdom, which is our mission that Jesus gave us, right? I would ask the question, does our heart beat in rhythm with God's heart? God has this, this like rhythm and this heartbeat to what he does. What does God want more than anything else? He wants people to be saved. He wants to bring people back into relationship with him. He wants to see people adopted into his family. He wants to see people healed, right? This is what God's heart is. Does our heartbeat match God's heartbeat? That's a good thing for us to meditate on. Think back, think back with me just for a second. Remember when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River? He said, he told John that the reason it had to happen was to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus had to be able to relate to us in every way. He didn't need to be cleansed from sin, but he needed to show the obedience to what the Father had given. And so he needed to be baptized. He needed to go through that process. And immediately after he was baptized, the heavens open, the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove, it says, and the voice of God booms out of heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then immediately after Jesus follows through and goes through with that act of obedience, the Spirit of God drives Jesus out into the wilderness. For 40 days he spends out there, and he's in a place that lacks resource. He doesn't have the things he needs in that place, and so during that 40 days, as Jesus submits himself to the authority of the Father, God provides for him. And in that season, Satan tempts Jesus. He tempts him with material possessions. He tempts him with the idea of authority and power and personal success or personal pleasure. And Jesus resists the temptation of Satan and allows the truth of God and God's word to sustain him through that. Now, if we believe that our heavenly father, God, is pleased with us because we've placed faith on Jesus We've been baptized, cleansed of our sins. We're in the family of God. We're a part of the kingdom. If we know that God is pleased with us, how are we expressing our faith for the sake of the kingdom? Are we willing, like Jesus, to go to places that are uncomfortable? Are we willing to be in a place where we lack provision, but we trust in God to provide what we need? Are we willing to stand upon the truth of what God has said in his word to combat the temptation of the world around us? You'll be more happy if you do the things that the world does. You'll be more happy if you have more money, more possessions, and seek pleasure for yourself in whatever way that you think is pleasurable. That's what the world will tempt us of or with. Are we willing, like Jesus, to stand upon God's word and resist the enemy because what the word tells us is that if we resist the devil, you know what he has to do? Flee. He has to run away. He doesn't get to continually tempt us if we resist his advances. I 
think if we want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, if we want, if we're willing to be kingdom minded and see the kingdom of God expand and flourish, I think we have to follow Jesus' example. And so I want to challenge all of us. And when I say we're entering into a season, obviously the global things that are happening on a global level, it, it's it's biblical in nature. There's no no other way you can explain it. What's going on with Russia and Ukraine? It's tragic. It's tragic but it has apocalyptic overtones. We have to understand that. What we see going on in Canada and the abuse of power and, and Christian pastors being detained and arrested. Guys, I don't mean to be a herald of woe or, or a prophet of doom, but buckle up. These are simply just birth pangs for us that are showing us what's gonna come down the pike and are already here in a lot of ways. Culturally, we are not a Christian nation anymore. We are a post-Christian nation where even the things that we were founded on, that our country, the principles that, that founded us, whether they were deists or Christians or whatever they want to call themselves, the principles that we were founded on as a country have been absolutely abdicated in, our, in the public sphere. They don't exist anymore. Okay? So what that means is that these are warning signs for us to say we've got to sort of get our backs up in the sense of we need to be strengthened. We, we need to be sure of our mission and our calling. And I think what we need to do is follow Jesus' example in how he combated the advances and attacks of the enemy. And so, like Jesus, I would challenge you and I would challenge me that in very specific ways, we follow his example and say, listen, how are we executing our faith? Am I scratching and clawing for Jesus in my personal time? Am I making sure that I'm in fellowship with Jesus? Are we as a church looking at the community around us, around us and going, how do we affect change here? How do we call people to salvation and tell them that God loves them, has mercy for them, will give his grace to them, and allow them to be saved from their sins by believing upon Jesus? And so consider, like Jesus did, devoting yourself to times of separation. We've read it already in the first four chapters. Jesus would rise early and, and while it was still dark and go out to desolate places and spend time with the Lord. Can I challenge all of us? Are you willing to give up an hour of sleep just to spend time with Jesus and intercede on behalf of others? Maybe that's in the morning for you. Great. Maybe it's at night. Maybe you just stay up and keep the late watches like David did and lay on his bed and meditate on God's law and take joy and pleasure in God's law. Maybe you're a night person, awesome. But are you willing to sort of remove yourself from the things that distract us on a regular basis and say, man, maybe I take a couple days a week and between sunup and sundown, I just fast. And every time that I think about my stomach and how hungry I am and the thing that I want, I stop in that moment and I go, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, just, just intercede in our culture, intercede in our community, intercede in my family. Like, like maybe that's what we need to do and spend some time in fasting. Maybe as we gather together in various ways, we, we stop and we just go, no, listen, before we ever tell anybody anything, like I said earlier, judgment begins in the house of God. Maybe we need to be spending some more time praying together and being really honest about things that are in us that need to be repented of and allow God to work out in our lives. And then we have this clean slate that we can then go and pray for other people for and see revival in our community. So I would challenge us and encourage us to look for opportunities to, to model Jesus in that way. 
Make sure we're spending devoted, dedicated, uninterrupted time with the Lord. Fast, deny the flesh, and allow there to be room for the Holy Spirit to work. I think sometimes we're so fat and so full of everything that this world has to offer, there's no place for the Holy Spirit to work. Someone could challenge me on that idea, and that's fine, but all I know is I've experienced it. That when every waking moment I'm full of checking my notifications and looking at social media or looking for something to eat or something to drink, it's really easy to go, hmm, I didn't read my Bible for the last three days. I haven't really sat down and dedicated a time of prayer with the Lord versus I'm going to remove those things for a period of time and I'm actually going to devote myself. I'm actually going to spend time. I'm going to cut out things that distract me and I'm going to devote that time to being with the Lord. You realize the historically as we look back through history the times when God moved it was usually four little old ladies in a room who just devoted themselves to prayer and just said we don't have much to offer but we're just going to sit here and we're going to pray we're not going to allow anything else to distract us we're going to pray you're going to hear more about this as, as we move forward in the next couple months um, and when I say I think we're entering into a season here of seeing God do something cool I think it's in the times of trouble it's in the times of persecution that we see God's people come together and we really see them understand their need for God in our midst. And that's where we see those acts of devotion coming out. It's when everything's peaceful and nice that we sort of get lazy. We sort of get fat and lazy and we've listened to a bunch of good Bible teaching and that's awesome, but we haven't had to activate our faith because there was no crisis. There was nothing really that bad in our life. But when the stuff comes up, man, that's when we gotta hit our knees. That's when we need to be in prayer and we need to continue in that. I think the question really just has to be what would our community and what would our life and what would our church look like if we really actually believed that God might move simply because his children begged him to do the thing that he already wants to do. He wants to save people. He wants to heal people. Well, what if we just joined our voices together and go, yeah, God, that's what we want. We want what you want. We want that friend of ours who's far from the Lord, we want him to be saved. And so I'm gonna take an hour every day and, and yep, I might get distracted a little bit and I may not be used to doing that, but I'm literally just gonna sit there and go, Jesus, save my friend. And I'm just gonna devote that time because God, I know you wanna save them, but I wanna copy Jesus and I, wanna, I want my heart to be your heart. I want my heart to beat in rhythm with yours. I think if we as a church specifically in this context if we don't grow by virtue of us here in this room, growing and seeing God working the, the, the gifts that he has given us in our life, seeing those things expressed in our body here, and if we don't grow by virtue of others coming to know the Lord and growing the kingdom through this medium, then I, I really would seriously have to question whether we're fulfilling the mission of Jesus. See, we can't get comfortable we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Amen. And, and for us to grow and fulfill the mission of God, man, we need to grow. We can't stay the same. We can't just be happy that we found a group of people that we love and we get to talk to. We have to be on mission. That's what Jesus called us to. We need to worship well. We need to enjoy our fellowship. Jesus at the center of everything that's good and that's right. But because Jesus is everything to us, we follow him and his way, his example, by going out and doing the mission that he called us to, which is to proclaim the gospel.